You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. going on glass cannon nation welcome back to cannon fodder my name is joe o'brien and i'm true in the valley he's got no nicknames folks he gave it up if you remember last week he's done 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 with the nicknames he doesn't have any time anymore to think of funny things because he just streams all day and all night. <laughs> I'm having so much fun with those video game streams, man. <laughs> we got a nice little crowd in there, too, but it is so relaxing. It's taking away from other work, but you need that break. You need that mental break. I get it. You don't got to tell me. I have loved streaming video games for a long time, and before Extra Life last year, I went on, I don't know, like a four- or five-month gap where I didn't do it. Gen Con was a big part of it, and then the tour was so busy in the early fall that I, there was just, like, no time to do it. And Extra Life just got me right back in, and I was like, I missed this so much, and I need to make time for this in my life. It's just it's just too fun. We are back again. It is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, and we've got some great news uh, on the, the plate today, including one very special event, which has come up very last minute. We talked about it a little bit last week. We've got more details this week. And then, of course, we're going to dig into We Are Stupid. Can't wait for that conversation. Honestly, you and I have not talked about it at all pre-show, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. It's going to be a little bit less of rules we got wrong. There is some of that, but there is going to be a good chunk of why go this way or go this way as a GM, and I love those kind of conversations. So mm. let's kick it off with the news. Troy, uh, you're, you're a busy man this week. You're a busy man this week. Yeah, not my uh, not my favorite week, but uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You're we, going uh, live tonight with a, with a new uh, a new show, uh, yeah, a new episode. You could say of Friends of the Pod. Tell us about what's happening. So you know, we saw this this shakeup going on in the industry, and it's something I, I mentioned last week. We've known about for a year because we we got friends in high places. We knew the shit was going to hit the fan. Uh, we didn't know it was going to hit this hard, um, but we kind of, uh, we, we want to strike while the iron's hot, which I've, I've said that phrase now way too many times and in emails as well. Uh, but that's the truth. We just see like a lot of people coming over to Pathfinder. We're like, well, if you're coming over to Pathfinder, you got to watch the pros do it. And so I was texting with Eric Mona right away. I mean, before they even mentioned the, uh, the release of the, uh, the orc, uh, uh, orc license, I was like, so what's going on? What's, can you tell me anything? Uh, what's, what's Python's response going to be? But then it, it went right from that to we need to stream something. And initially I was thinking, let's stream the beginner box. Cause that's what Mona was like. Oh, you guys should stream the beginner box. And then, uh, you and I were both on the same page. Like we don't want to spoil that for everybody who like wants to learn Pathfinder. It's a great way. The way it slowly introduces you to the system. We don't want to play that because then everybody watching won't be able to play it. So I said, all right, let's, I'm just going to find a Pathfinder Society scenario like we did at PaizoCon this year. Uh, and, and we always have so much fun with that because, uh, 
you know, it, it gives you a, a finite amount of time to do a mission. Missions yeah. are always great. That's why we love disorganized play. Uh, and then when, when we try to put the cast together, we're like, let's take cast of Blood of the Wild. You and Skid and Paula Deming and Mary Lou, because if people haven't heard Blood of the Wild yet, what a great chance to get introduced to this, uh, the chemistry of this crew that is already, already sounds like you guys have been playing together for a hundred years. Uh, so we're going to go live tonight, 8 p.m. <laughs> Eastern. It's going to be like a four hour stream, dude. Yeah, and it's live. Live, yeah. live, 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 live. So my mic's gonna sound like shit, um, <laughs> but I I cannot wait. And I picked a scenario that I think really plays to the strengths of this crew, which is uh, you know role. There's gonna be plenty of role play with some interesting uh, encounters. Uh, I don't want to say too much, but uh, you know we 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 announced what the uh, uh, what the actual uh, scenario is gonna be. Uh, so just just check it out. I think you're gonna have a lot of fun with this. We want to we want to blow it up. Yeah, and and the the tone of this thing, the reason for this thing is to welcome new people into Pathfinder, people that maybe at this time are investigating, right? They're 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 pivoting, checking out what's going on with Pathfinder when they haven't before, or those of us that loved Pathfinder and were playing in D&D games because I used to be in that realm back in the 4th edition days, trying to get your friends to play it and come over with you is tough, you know? They're set in their ways, they have their thing they want to do. Maybe this is a chance for you to say, "Hey, watch this stream, check this out. This is Pathfinder first uh, level with a bunch of people that are experts at the rules <laughs> and you will uh, get a really good entry into the system. So that's what we're uh, doing tonight. And I'm so looking forward to it. So the message is come hang out with us live, bring a friend, tell yeah. a friend about it, try to get people in your group to watch, uh, especially if you're a five E player, just check it out. Um, you can always go back to playing five E, but at least you could see a level one scenario play out in a finite amount of time, beginning to end and see if you like it. See, see, uh, see what clicks. It's a big stream for us. You know, there's just the, the, the time is now as people are coming over and discovering Pathfinder. What better way to learn than by finding a podcast to listen to? And if you're going to listen to a Pathfinder podcast, there's, there's only one. It's the glass, the ones that the glass cannon ever put out. <laughs> all, all six of the Pathfinder shows that we put out. That's the only one. Factually incorrect. Uh, <laughs> but we do a lot of factually incorrect stuff here, uh, on the glass cannon podcast. Um, yeah, I'm very much so looking forward to it. And, uh, and I, I, I love that we're coming in with the Blood of the Wildcast just because we have been working together week in and week out for months now. And so we don't have that I – don't, I don't think that awkward like chemistry issue you know, early on where we can jump right in, uh, which is really great and, and going be, gonna to be super fun. And I've never played with either Paula Deming or Mary Lou. I don't think. That's right. right. I don't, yeah, I don't think I – No, you never have played with them. With you them. met them in LA, hung yeah. out for a little bit. Had, we had a mm -hmm. great night. Um, but you have not uh, – yeah, you haven't actually played with them. So, so we'll see. Uh, I saw a tweet or a comment or something, uh, from, from somebody in the niche that was like, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Troy deals with this ragtag group, uh, <laughs> you know, compared to how, compared to how Jared does. Well, we're very much so looking forward to that tonight. Uh, please come out and, and support the stream if you can. If you can't and you're interested, don't worry about it. We got you. Uh, if you can't be there live, uh, this stream is going to be uh, fully produced, mixed, mastered, and released in audio form on the on the Glass Cannon Podcast feed. Is that correct, Troy? Yeah, it's going to hit the Glass Cannon Cannon Podcast feed next week, and that's where it will live for a while. Eventually, once Gatewalkers comes out, my plan is to really clean up that feed, give Strange Aeons its own feed, and then little things like this that exist uh, will we'll find new homes. But for now, that's that's where you can go to find it. We want to really continue to pump up the numbers of the Glass Cannon Podcast feed. And then we're producing a video as well that's going to hit 
YouTube next week. So, you know, if you can't watch it live, you can hear a much cleaner uh, edited, uh, not ed- edited, but sweetened audio and synced video version uh, uh, next week. But really, if you can watch it live, that'll really, uh, it'll help us out a lot to get to pump up those numbers. That's not all that's going on this week. After we go live all night tonight, we have uh, Glass Cannon Labs tomorrow. We're back in the lab. Back in the uh, lab. No rest for the weary. We are doing Blade Runner RPG this week with Skid at the helm. Troy, how many times have you seen Blade Runner? So I read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep uh, late in life. Like maybe I read it 15 years ago for the first time and I hadn't seen Blade Runner. Isn't it sad I, that 15 years ago was late in life for you? <laughs> well, in late in life for like, I think most people read that when they're a teenager and I just right. wasn't, uh, I wasn't that into dick as a teen. <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Um, but I, uh, I had never seen Blade Runner just cause I, you know, I, I got was, into dick late in life. <laughs> got into, uh, be careful, Troy. Be careful. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I have a lot of gaps in like sort of the movies that I've watched over the years because I didn't watch a ton of movies when I was younger. So I never watched Blade Runner. So I, I read that first. And I'm like, I want to watch Blade Runner. And I hated it. Uh, I didn't like Blade Runner the first time I watched it because I was like, the changes they made, I, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't care for it. Obviously, the book is always better. Um, but then I watched the new one that came out uh, a couple years ago and loved that. So I think if I revisited Blade Runner now, I'd appreciate it more. And then Free League sent me all this shit. I got the starter set. I've got the uh, the core rule book. And as always, like everything uh, Free League does, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I think Jason Charles Miller and Skid are going to uh, – out knowledge us very yeah, quickly. I think they're going to out reference us. I've seen Blade <laughs> Runner one time uh, about 20 years ago, and I saw 2049 one time. Uh, so I don't know anything about the setting, but I'll tell you this much. When Skid sent out the email with the pre-gen character breakdown, I was like, this sounds amazing. <laughs> like just, you know, the replicants, non-replicants, like the details of each character and their like kind of position politically in this whole, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, controversial landscape of this, this dystopian world. It's just so cool. And so, yeah, very much so looking forward to, uh, to digging into that. And then labs is going to be off for a week. Uh, and then hopefully it's coming back in February with, uh, repeats. We're, we're trying to, uh, get, uh, the cast of cyborg back together, the cast of Sabaran back together in February to continue those stories. So keep an eye out for, for news on that. But tomorrow we run, we play Blade Runner. <laughs> Uh, an update, quick update on the RSS feeds, then we're doing We Are Stupid. Uh, remember, we were releasing those shows that were uh, originally uh, YouTube shows, and then the audio was released on Glass Cannon Network Presents. They got their own feeds, getting the trunk is up and running. Thank you for those of you that went and, and rated and reviewed uh, on uh, on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate that. This week, Voyagers is dropping. So uh, Voyagers of the Jump, which is a show, uh, if you have not checked that out on Twitch or YouTube during its uh, airing or on Glass Cannon uh, Network Presents, please do yourself a favor and check that show out on uh, on its, uh, its new feed releasing this week because it is such a fantastic show. Uh, one of our first ever long-form homebrew series that I think it knocked it absolutely out of the park, written by our one and only Matthew Cabotacaza. So it uh, gets rave reviews. Uh, go ahead and check it out if, uh, if you've got some time. Yeah, first three eps uh, available now. Download, rate, subscribe, and review. Thank you so much. Let's move on to We Are Stupid. 
stupid. We're going to hear a lot of Troy is stupid in this episode, and not because, as I said, of getting rules wrong, but because you make dumb choices as a game master. That sounds about right. No, Sometimes I just drift off and read sports scores. That's terribly, uh, that's not very accurate. But uh, you know what is accurate? That you do drift off and read sports scores. That's like an actual thing. People think you're joking, but you actually do read sports scores while other yeah. people are role playing. <laughs> it's a very strange mind. Like I'm still listening, but I have to be doing something else. I think that's called attention deficit disorder. Um, let's get into, uh, we're going to do some physics, uh, uh, in this and we're going to do some delving into the fascinated condition, which is fascinating in its complexity. And I think, uh, I think it should be removed from the system entirely because I think all it is is fodder, so to speak, for uh, GMs and players to get in fistfights with each other. But we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> First, I want to talk about – this comes right from Professor Eric. He believes there should have been some more maneuver-in-flight checks while we were all flying around. By we were all particularly – I mean myself, Atticus, and um, – and uh, Suki uh, in dinosaur form, pterosaur form, flying around uh, as if this is the easiest thing in the world. He doesn't think it's that game-changing. He thinks large-scale, large, large scale, zoom it all out, it could be pretty trivial. However, on two moving ships, even in the Dreamlands, you want to acknowledge that there may be some wind. There are direct wind rules in the rule book. If you look uh, at uh, movement in the core rule book, it'll go into detail uh, about, you know, how how when you fly against the wind, it's literally difficult terrain. Like you can only move at half speed when you fly against the wind. And it doesn't necessarily have to be hurricane winds. This is on uh, page 463 of the core rule book. You just got to factor it in in some way. So if the wind's at your back, maybe you can move a little faster. Again, it can get trivial. It can get a little crunchy, but it's a fun thing to make you feel the scene a little bit more and feel what exactly is, is happening there. Sometimes if you have to change direction quickly or if you can't do a wide arc, which Atticus did at one point, if you just got to about face, for example, you need to be making maneuver and flight checks for that, which I believe you can't do if you don't have uh, – ag- ag- if you're not trained in acrobatics, I think. You want to know my two cents on all this? Here we go. I don't care. It's okay. so boring to me. Now, here's the thing. if the player is way into those mechanics, like you obviously are, then I would like you to, I'd like you to do it the, the right way. Um, but I'm not interested in that policing type of minutia and policing it because it, it slows down the game for a podcast. <clears throat> and also like, it doesn't matter unless it matters. If I say like, there are a hundred mile an hour winds here. So just know that all checks are going, the DCs are going to go up by five and, you know, it would be nice if you guys knew it, knew it. But like at a certain point in, in running these games, you have to, um, take your knowledge of the game and the player's knowledge of the game and meet somewhere in the middle to make an entertaining stream. And that's really what we're doing. It's always so funny when people are like, can't believe Troy doesn't know the rules. It's such a, uh, an old fashioned way of thinking that the GM needs to know all the rules of the game. That is just. That's insane to me. The GM should know what, what the GM needs to know. And then you learn more over time. The players need to know exactly what they're doing. I always say this, like, if you don't know how to do something, don't do it. Don't rely on me to know how to do it. It's the same thing with flying rules. Like, if you're way into the flying stuff, then I would love for you to to do it, to, to enlighten us and teach us. But, like, I'm not going to police that because it's, it's, it's boring to me unless it's an important part of the story. Well, so you go up and fly in the air. Well, you should know. About 15 feet in the air, gale force winds come in and you <laughs> fall into the sea. Then like, otherwise, like, oh, God, I just, 
as I've got, maybe as I'm getting older, I just don't, I just want to keep, keep it moving, keep it moving. Well, keeping it moving is, is definitely a, a really important thing. And you have to just hand wave a, a lot of this stuff when, when you're doing a show for sure. If it's not factoring directly into the story, which is why, uh, you know, Eric laid out here that it's, it is trivial when you look at the grand scheme of how everything played out and the, the way the situation was. Wind was never even mentioned. So why worry about it too much? But it is good to know that those rules are in there and they're in the book. Should you want to reference them or should you as a GM run across a situation where, you know, a player is flying and they feel like they can just magically do whatever they feel like because they're magically yeah. flying? There are limits. The world has limits to what you're able to do. Um, I do Sorry, like hover. Hover is great. Like if you want to stay in one location and rain down pain, then you got to spend an action to hover. That to me is great. All of the like, you know, it's, it was even worse in one E. And I think we got so used to just eschewing it because it was such a pain in the ass. Well, a turnboard of 45 degrees. You got to, because it's all, well, the minute you lift the ground and you get into three dimensions, it's all theater of the mind at that point. And people are, you know, you've got to decide for yourself how much you want to uh, stay beholden to the rules. I think we've kind of carried that over into two E. Like I like things like hover. If there's more uh, simple sort of things like that that we can use, great. But I, I don't want to stress out. Uh, too much. However, if it makes it more difficult for you, then I am interested. I thought you'd like that. Let's move on to the fascinated condition. I want to pick your brain on this. Um, First of all, explain to me exactly, Troy, what the fascinated condition does. Uh, Sure. Allow me to (laughs) Google that for you. Allow me to Google that for you. Uh, You you know, I'd say off the top of my head, you're compelled to focus your attention on something, (laughs) distracting you from whatever else is going on around you. I don't know. I'd say without knowing the exact rule, you take a minus two status penalty to perception and skill checks. <laughs> you can't That's use off the top action. of your head. You can't use actions with the concentrate trait unless they or their intended consequences are related to the subject of your fascination. Here's a fun one in parentheses as determined by the GM. That's love your favorite that line in any core rule book. Yep. Love as it. determined by the GM. Um, and you know I say the reason that- I hate it is because no matter what I say, you guys fight with me. That's why I hate it. I don't mind making calls, but uh, it's just gotten worse over time. No matter what I say, you guys are ready for a fight. That's why I'm just like, I I try to pick my battles. It makes me seem soft, but like, you don't understand the fragile egos I'm dealing with behind the scenes. My GM calls, uh, people won't speak to me for weeks. (laughs) This this is extreme over-exaggeration. Not really. The fascinated condition, it bothers me so much. So what happened here? The captain had what? Was that a, some sort of prismatic uh, shape or something? Prismatic something. And prismatic cock. Uh, let me see. Prismatic pattern. I'm yeah, there guess. you go. Is that what it was? Something like that. And you put up this spell and uh, looks like Eris and Aldo uh, get caught within it, fail their saves, are fascinated. So uh, what Eric puts in here is that uh, many GMs would not allow anyone to simply walk away from what's fascinating them, which is what they did. <laughs> like Eris was like, I, all right, then uh, I can't use anything with the concentrate trade as long as I'm in the realm of the pattern. So I will walk out of the pattern. I mean, she was a, <laughs> a gaseous form. She just flew out of the pattern, but she flew out of the pattern and we all just let it go. We didn't even think, you know, twice about it. But Eric's like, just so you know, most GMs would not allow that. <clears throat> I don't know. Like, I think the point of fascination is it takes all your attention yeah. and you just stare at this. Now, why don't you lose all your actions? You can still move by the rules. You can go. It doesn't say you can't move away from what's fascinating you. Um, but 
And and this and he says this too. He says, uh, strictly speaking, he does not see anything in the rules that prevents people from just walking away. He just yeah. believes that most GMs would rule fascination that you're just like sort of frozen in place there. Um, I think that that spell is never used for what I imagine it to be used for, which is like. You know, you are all in a, um, a magical school and uh, someone is coming that day to speak and they do something villainous and like fascinate the class and like while they're burning down the rest of the school or something. Right. So it's like it's something where you take someone's attention that you're not attacking at all, that you're just keeping their attention away from something that's going on over here. Usually whenever we see it, it's in the middle of a fight. <laughs> Somebody just fascinates you, and uh, I don't, I never know how to play it because it says anything that attacks you breaks the concentration. Uh, threat, you know, will break the fascination. So I'm, I just don't – I feel like people always end up fighting about this uh, yeah, because it, it isn't exactly charm. It isn't exactly dominate. You know, it's like this weird middle ground. We also have like a lot of one-e baggage about fascinate that we're carrying over t- into two-e, I think. Um you know, the condition ends if a creature uses hostile actions against you or any of your allies. That, that, I think that same thing was in, um, 1E. In that sentence, you know, the player interprets it one way and the GM interprets it another, I think. Um, one could argue that like there are hostile actions happening all around you at every second since everything is happening in, in simultaneous time. So it makes fascination useless in combat. This is what we always said uh, in first in, first edition, um, because very rarely does someone fascinate and be like, ah, finally I get a break. No, they're, they're going to then go do something else. And so it ends it. So you can either just say you can't use it in combat uh, or you can say, I'm going to role play this, that like I am wildly fascinated on this pattern. And nothing is going to distract me from it right now because I'm trying to figure it out until, you know, a hostile action is used. I don't know. I was just trying to mix it up with the spells that he had. I I wasn't like psyched about it either. Yeah, I just don't like it. I never like it in combat for that reason. I I, I wouldn't have a problem being like my character just zones in on it and like doesn't do anything else. You know, like I'd be fine with that. I think that that could be scary and deadly and that's cool. But like – um. It's also if you know you're under attack, it's just a very weird thing to to resolve. So, yeah, I'm trying to find what the spell was because I don't think it was prismatic pattern. It was I made that up by the way. I don't think it, yeah, I, don't I know, know if that's a spell. <laughs> you Google said it. this fascinating pattern that you're looking at. You said that it was a prismatic something. You you said Here those words. Yeah, it's hypnotic pattern. Hypnotic pattern. Okay. Um. Yeah. Now that to me sounds like you should be slightly hypnotized by this. Um, you create a pattern show the target is unaffected. The target is fascinated. The target is fascinated while it's fascinated. It can't use reactions is a critical on the critical failure. Creatures are dazzled while inside the pattern. Is dazzled a condition? It is a condition. Yeah, it is. It's weird that they would use that word, but then they don't use it in the success failure crit failure. Uh, dazzled, your eyes are overstimulated. If vision is your only precise sense, all creatures and objects are concealed from you. All right. So, yeah, this is the thing. Just that pattern alone, whether you succeed or fail, you're dazzled as long as you're inside of it. Um, yeah, everything's concealed from you. Yeah, I don't know if we played that. I can't remember because we recorded this a while ago. But then the fascination comes with a failure. No, you never mentioned it. dazzled. Yeah, creatures are dazzled while inside the par- pattern. Um you know, that would change things a little bit. 
Let's take a Wilson. Yeah, but nobody attacked so. him during that time. They so it's not like they didn't roll on concealment or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't, you know, it, it's out there. We, we should we should come to a, a better consensus on this before. Uh, I have an easy one for you. Yeah, never use it in combat ever. <laughs> there you go. It's easy. That, that works. And, and because I mean, there's no going to be no shortage of social encounters in this AP. Like I, I'm, I have no doubt about that. There's so many sinister people that you're like talking to first, and there's no reason they can't hypnotize somebody in another room. And Aldo's hypnotized in this room while we're getting attacked in the other room, and he he doesn't know that. That is a brilliant use of and terrifying use of fascinate or hypnotic pattern. Um, I just think as you know, the third round action of a, in a boss fight, unless it has something in the text that says it, you know, even combat doesn't break it, I wouldn't use it. Well, it's um, interesting. You said if your eyes are on and everyone is concealed from you, if they're concealed, how would you know if their hostile actions are being used? One could argue that as well. You're in the pattern. You really can't see that. It, it really leaves it open to interpretation. I always say, if you're a player, make the game, and, and this is hard because I, I don't have players like this, but always err on the side of making the game harder for yourself. Because like the GM is just trying to present you with a challenge. If you just try to make things easier, it's it's your your and I don't know how to explain this like you're well you're taking not, away from the drama and intensity of the game right and if you lean into it a little bit more like you have to trust that y- your GM is not going to just obliterate you for fun for kicks right because so what like, happens is if you go the other way which is what tends to happen on our shows like I then have to go the other way to balance it but if you just made it more difficult on yourself I wouldn't have to do that but like that's the balance if you're just trying to like trick me or break the encounter then like okay well here's the penalty I now have to drop the hammer just so that there's a level of balance in another way yeah, yeah exactly if you make it harder on yourself as a player you your gm ends up making the game easier in parts to balance it and that is a better overall relationship for tables yep every yep. table is going to get along better if that is what you do you don't have to be a masochist you know you just Always err on the side of like making it harder for yourself. If it's you 50 do, 50, make it a little harder for yourself. Make it a little harder for yourself. There's a reason, you know, don't be like, ah, I'm not going to do that, you know? That's yeah, just, I mean, especially, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of stuff drives me nuts when it's just like you're going to take four more points of damage for something, you know, you're just like, I, I shouldn't have to take that damage. Would you just take the damage and move <laughs> on? Just take the damage. Uh, this one I love. Thank you, Eric, for pointing this out. I, I, I want to say I thought about this, but I guess I didn't really. Um, This is an interesting conversation because it's a conversation of invisibility. And it's something that I think you also don't like to talk about. But I feel like we have to have this conversation because we are playing (laughs) in a game where I am an illusionist and I will be invisible in almost every encounter we have. And we had this conversation in Strange Aeons months ago, perhaps, where um, this – and you were invisible at the time, I believe – where this idea of invisibility is as if you left the material plane. Right. And that's not the case. I argue I'd li- I like to argue pretty heavily that invisibility does not make you so undetectable that like no matter what you do, you can't be seen or found quickly uh, and go from undetected to hidden, which is, uh, you know, a mischance where they know kind of what square you're in. They can take shots at you, etc. Uh, Eric points out here that while invisible, even while flying at full speed, probably needed uh, uh, meeting Atticus while he's trying to sneak out of there with the hat, probably needed to move at half speed and make stealth checks along the way. 
specifically because if he didn't, he would be making some degree of noise in this in this flight. Now, again, he, <laughs> Eric lays out. You can argue like it's it's a hectic battle. There's, you know, wind. They're, they're on boats like maybe nobody ever got a chance to see him or, or know that he's there. That's fine. That's less of what I'm talking about. It's just bringing up this larger issue of invisibility being perfect indetectability, which it is not. So you also need to use stealth, you know, when you're invisible to to stay undetected. Now, you're never going to be seen by somebody, but you could unless they have, you know, see invisibility, but you could become hidden to them, meaning they know you're there. They just can't see you. It's something we didn't pay a lot of attention to in 1E. And again, we're carrying over that into this. But what makes it different in 2E are these uh, undetected, hidden, concealed and whatnot. Those steps are there for a reason. Um, because it used to be like, oh, I'm invisible and I'm sneaking. You can't hear me. All right. You got a, a, a plus 20 to your stealth. We didn't even roll those checks. Right. It's like, what's, it. what's the point? It's a plus 20 stealth. That doesn't exist from what I can see in two. No, there's flat checks and the flat checks are there for a reason. So we just have to get it into our body to be using these flat checks because yeah. invisibility isn't a cure-all like it was often overused in 1E. It's just a really good chance that you're going to remain undetected. But that's what but the you could become hidden. And for those that aren't clear on this, we're, this is capital U undetected, capital H hidden. Like these are actual traits that are applied to you during the combat for what a, uh, um, an enemy or combatant has to roll to hit you. If you're undetected, they can't – they don't know at all where you are. If you're hidden, they know kind of what square you're in basically. So that that's kind of what we're saying. It's like just because you're invisible doesn't mean they can't get to that level of knowing what square you're in and taking a swing at you. You would still need to to roll stealth checks. Perhaps you'd get a significant bonus from being invisible, but it is not a cure-all. You're still going to make noise. Uh, like uh, so my perfect image that I loved so much was at the end of the session when it was just Atticus left on the other boat and he needed a round before he could wake up and you had the wraith like coming over to him like on the ship he couldn't see him but like didn't know where he was but just like looking around and like Atticus is just trying to like hold his breath because even if he breathed invisibility might not matter this thing might detect that and be able to take a swing at him in that in that square so anyway just something fun to keep in mind for your games don't let invisibility be a cure-all make it a big bonus but you can still be found and that yeah, intensity and, can still be there. And undetected, if you read it, it's it's very clear. A creature you're undetected by can guess which square you're in trying to target you. Target you. Uh, it must pick a square and attempt an attack. This works like targeting a hidden creature requiring a DC 11 flat check. But the flat check and attack roll are rolled in secret by the GM who doesn't reveal whether the attack missed due to the failing flat check, failing the attack roll, or choosing the wrong square. A creature can use the seek action to find you. So, you know, we really should get in the habit of like when someone's visible, like you spend an action to seek. Okay. I know what direction they're in, you know, and then you still, they're still undetected, right? Or does seek take it down a level? If you're successful with sneak, which would go against their seek. their um, stealth DC. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you're invisible, you're free as the GM to give him any bonuses you want. But I think by raw, there is no bonus for being invisible to the stealth DC. The reason is because someone who is naturally not trained in stealth and unstealthy, even if invisible, probably makes noises, right. probably doesn't know how to keep themselves completely undetected. Whereas if a rogue is invisible and is an expert in sneak, perhaps they are much harder to detect while invisible. So their stealth DC would be higher. So you still just roll seek against the stealth DC. And if you 
your stealth DC is low because you're a clunky warrior in, in heavy armor, right? And let's say that you don't, you're not trained in stealth and your stealth DC is like 14 and, uh, the seek action hits. They know generally where you are. You're still hidden. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to melt down about this if it happens to you in your game. Right. They still have a they still have to roll a DC eleven flat check to even connect with you, but they they can they can smell you or something. You know, maybe right. you stink. Like there's a lot of different reasons that you could lay on for why somebody could find somebody who's invisible. Yeah, we we got to get into this more because invisibility. Like if you have any casters in the group or you're up against casters, it comes up a lot, and it shouldn't be like, well, fuck, they're out of the. I'm never gonna <laughs> find this boss again. No, there are rules in place to make it just cost some actions. Right. Totally. And even on a success, the best you're going to get, they're still hidden. So, you know what I mean? It's not that imbalanced. It's, I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll, we'll dig into that more as it comes up, which it inevitably will as a, as an illusionist is in the party. Um, just to throw it out there for Eric, who does a lot of GMing, uh, he said that what he would rule is probably, you would roll one sneak check on the first turn of my multi-turn flight around the boats to get to where I needed to be. And if it was successful, he would just not have me roll checks every, you know, 15 feet or whatever of the movement. He mm-hmm. would just say, you got it, and uh, and you can get around there. But a failure would indicate that somewhere along that way you made some noise and you drew the attention of the of the uh, enemy character. So. And you can decide how much you want to tinker with that because if all of a sudden you – uh, do something that isn't a hostile action that makes you visible, but that might change the situation. I might be like, you know what? Let's do it. I'm going to do another thing. What was that noise that you just made? Uh, you know, you can always keep it. But I like the idea of like, let's lower the amount of checks we're doing unless something changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like that too. I like lowering the dice rolls as much as possible on the show, but I also want to like... <laughs> Uh, I shouldn't say that. Everybody loves dice rolls. What I mean is like, I don't want to overuse dice rolls when it's not really necessary uh, mm-hmm. to the story and, and keep things moving um, in order to, you know, make the story interesting. And, and like I said, keep it cooking. Um, all right. One more little thing. And then we're going to get out of here. He just mentioned again, you know, we did this for fun. It's a dream sequence. Uh, uh, Suki as a dinosaur picks up her snake and flies off, flies off, you know, into the sunset and, and wakes up. Great image, great scene. But, but Professor Eric just points out, we're back to the same place where we were before because the snake is small. The pterosaur is medium. Picking that up is no small feat. And it might be ruled that it's too large to carry easily. And maybe we come back to our, I think it was our first fodder uh, this year where you said you would rule if somebody was carrying a smaller PC that maybe they're limited to, the carrier is limited to one action per round. Their move, you know, as they concentrate on keeping the thing, and the other one might be limited to two actions per round while it's being mounted, while it's mounting the other one or being held or whatever. So, uh, just something interesting to to think about in your games. That if it's one size smaller, that's not easy to pick up. That's that's no small thing. Um, yeah, so I don't know how it works with like calling your familiar back to you, or uh, you know, I, I don't know enough about druids, uh, or just like leave it. You know what I mean? What is your snake going to wake up with a madness? Maybe. Yeah, that's something that we got to kind of work out. And I have to, I, I don't know, I should talk to Sydney because I don't think it's a familiar. I believe it's an animal companion. And it's the reason I, uh, reason I say it's yeah, different right. is because like animal companions are bigger. You know what I mean? Like they're more solid. <laughs> like, uh, whereas a familiar can be a flitty little thing that, uh, you know, and there is magic that makes uh, familiars disappear and like, you know, hide inside an item and then come out and stuff like that. Th- those rules are into e. I don't think those rules really exist for animal companions at low levels, at least. I could be wrong, but um, it's a significant animal. It's a freaking constrictor python or something, right? Like it's it's a small <laughs> snake, but it's it's a small creature overall. But it's a big snake. 
That's a big snake. That's a big snake. Um, that's all we got for this week. Do you have uh, anything else, Troy, before we uh, get out of here? Um, no, no, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm excited. We, uh, we, uh, we, we recorded some more episodes last night. Sydney is, uh, in, in Italy. So we're Sydney-less, but, uh, I don't know. I'm excited. We're, we're, we're plowing through this story now. And, uh, yeah, I feel like we're coming to the, like, shift. There's a shift to coming. Yeah. (laughs) There's a shift to coming. Uh, yeah, hopefully it won't happen, uh, without Sid, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be good. Um, all right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Oh, you know what I do want to say? Can I tease what I'm going to play tonight? Can I say that? Yeah, go ahead. Do people care? Uh, I'm, I'm playing a brand new class tonight, class I never played before. A little class called the 2E Investigator. Just wanted to put it out there. Playing a little investigator tonight. So I got to go read the rules for investigator right now. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. (laughs) As you shouldn't. It's an old-fashioned idea. It's old-fashioned. All right, everybody. Take it easy. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at patreon.com slash glasscannon. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.